if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. As you do that, our children are dismissed to Kids Dome. Praise the name of Jesus. Gospel of John, chapter 6. Praise the name of the Lord. The Gospel of John, chapter 6, and we will begin reading in verse 30. When you got it, say so. And it says, Our fathers ate manna. I'm sorry, verse 30. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father, has given, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all that he gives me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your will. We thank you for your purposes, Lord God, in this earth. And Father, we thank you for your holy presence that is in this place today. And God, we just ask you in these next few moments that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to your church. We pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified, Lord, and we pray that you would give us not the ability to hear only, but to be doers of your word, God that we would listen by faith and that we would live by faith, Lord God, that we would respond to your word, Lord Jesus, in rejoicing and repentance, Lord God, and holy living, my Lord. I pray that you be glorified and use me. In Jesus' good name, someone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, please raise your hand and we'll get you an outline really quickly. Um, just hold those hands up for a moment. Keep them up, I should say, until you get one, so that way the, you, the ushers know that you receive one. We want to make sure that everyone gets these outlines. It's very important to us that everyone has an outline. We are not doing our Connect Life groups during the summer, but last week I did encourage you to take these outlines. And number one, it's good for you to take notes. That's the first thing that I think is important because we don't remember everything that we hear. And it's good to write stuff down so that way we can remember and we can be reminded, we can look back and we can reflect. But 
But I also encourage you to utilize these outlines so that way you could sit down with someone and that you could have some conversation about the Word of God and what you have been hearing. And that this is a good opportunity for you to get together with another brother, brother or sister in Christ and talk about what you were, what you were hearing and the preaching. But this is also an opportunity for you to share with someone who does not know Jesus who can actually, you could witness to them and utilize this as a tool, as an opportunity. So don't take the summer off from connecting. Amen? Important for us to still connect. We still should be doing life together. We still should be encouraging one another in our faith and holding each other accountable to the Word of God. And so since all the hands are down, we all have our outlines. And so we are going to talk today about the source of salvation. And so I, I, I find it awesome when we worship and the presence of God moves in our midst and we're able to just bask in the presence of God. And it's, it's awesome for me because then I'm ready to preach. I'm excited. I'm like, okay, let's get into this word. And I want to say that today for me, I, I think this is probably, you know, as we were in prayer this morning and Pastor Chad was praying, I really believe that this is a, a message of encouragement. Amen. And it's really encouragement for the church. And that's the reason for the title, which it is the source of salvation. And so in the prior verses, just to bring us up to speed where we are in your outline and the prior verses, we saw that Jesus was not impressed that the people were seeking him, for they sought him for the wrong reasons. They wanted to make him king for the wrong reasons. And while man would be impressed by a seeming diligence to pursue the Lord, God is not, for he sees the condition of the heart. See, what happened was these people, had, they had been with Jesus. Jesus performs this miracle, and these, um, he feeds, you know, 5,000 people plus, you know, according to some theologians, they think that it might have been more because they said that they asked the men to sit down, and so they look at that, and they think that there may have been close to 20,000 people there. So ultimately, they saw this amazing miracle that occurs, right? And Jesus does this, and the scripture says they're ready to make him king, and Jesus is like, nope, it's not time yet, and so he leaves, and he departs, and when he goes, across the lake, right? He goes across the lake. The people got up. They saw that the disciples weren't there. They saw that Jesus wasn't there. And what did they do? They went after Jesus. And it would seem like, man, people are seeking Jesus like we talked about last week. But Jesus says to them, you don't seek me because of the signs. You seek me because what? Because you ate of the bread. In other words, you, saw, you seek me because of what I can give you. You seek me for the wrong reason with the wrong motive. And so here we see Jesus continuing this conversation with them. And it just goes to show um, their heart in verse 30. Because if they apparently, and we'll talk about this a little bit more. But if they knew who Jesus was, verse 30, they said this. Look at verse 30. It says, therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? Hold on a second. I thought you just believed me. I, th I thought you knew who I was, right? But, but something occurred that, 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 that there was a disconnect for them. And so Jesus just shows he's accurate. So here we come to another important part of John. And all the book of John is important to us. But we come to another important part in the book of John in which Jesus begins the I am statements that are connected to his claim of deity. This is not coincidental that Jesus was using the same term, I am, to reveal himself to the people as God the Father did to reveal himself to Moses. You see, this brings us back to the place. We sang this song, and I think this is, this is so beautiful. Um, for those of you that don't know, when I do the, I, I, I send out the song list for the music ministry, and I send it, you know, like a three, three, pretty much, you know, a few, a few weeks in advance for like three months. And we're on the last part of our cycle, and then I don't necessarily sit down, look at my sermon, and then, you know, see how it's all going to fall, but God sovereignly allowed this to fall into place where we are singing about the great I am, and then Jesus begins his I am statements. 
And what it does is it brings us back to the place of the garden, or not the garden, but in the desert where Moses is walking around the desert for these 40 days. You know, he's walking around and, you know, he's like 80 years old here. And as he's walking around, he's sitting there and he's, he sees this bush that is burning and this bush is burning, but it's not consumed. And so he goes to this bush and then he goes there. You guys know the story. You know, God speaks to him, tells him to take off his sandals for the land where he stands on his holy ground. And so he, you know, goes through this whole conversation. And when God when, when Moses is one, you know, trying to get out of going to do what God said, like some of us do, hello, right? And he's trying to, you know, get, he's like, well, who am I going to say sent me? And what does God respond to him? Say, I am that I am sent you. And so he's saying, I am the existing one sent you. And so what happens here is Jesus begins this dialogue in, the, in, in, in this gospel, and he begins to talk about, the, he begins to call it, he begins to say, I am, referring to himself. And what he's doing is he's equating himself with the same eternal God, and see, the, the people he's speaking to, his audience, it's very important that you know, these people were very well aware of what Jesus was communicating. And as he is saying these things, there's no coincidence, he's communicating this. And so what we find here in your outline, there are a total of 23 I am statements that Jesus from Jesus in John but there are seven that are connected to powerful metaphors which reveal his saving relationship toward the world and so the first one that we'll talk about today and we see the list of them here is I am the bread of life meaning that he is the source of life number two is he is I am the light of the world he's the light that turn you know he turns the lights on so men can be saved right he is the door he is the door for the sheep so he's the access point he is the good shepherd He's the one who keeps us. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the source of not just life now, but eternal life. He's the reason why we don't die. He shows that I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through the Son. And then lastly, he'll talk about in John chapter 15, I am the true vine. In other words, he is the source of sustaining and continual life. What we must realize is that the greatest need of mankind is salvation. And here's what we need to get from this whole story that we've looked at and seeing how the, how the people were seemingly pursuing Jesus. And it is this. There are too many people, saved and unsaved alike, who are killing themselves, pursuing things that will leave them wanting. Those are called functional saviors. And let me just give you one example. There are people who are killing themselves to have enough money. Are you here? There are people who are killing themselves to do, to have enough money because they feel like once I have enough money, then, then what? Then what? Then I'll be free. Then I'll be happy. See, there's a problem. I'll give you, I'll give you a quick story. I remember when, I, when we first got married and um, we moved into our, our new home. And so we moved into the house and in the bedroom that was going to be the study, right? I didn't have a desk in there. And, and so, you know, I was like, man, I'm struggling, like, you know, for a place to pray. And I was like, well, when I get a desk, then my prayer time will be more consistent. And then guess what? I got a desk. And you know what didn't happen? My prayer time didn't get more consistent because the desk. And, and at one point it was like, man, I don't have a chair. And I have the right chair in here. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward to move. And so I got the right chair. And guess what? My prayer time didn't get more consistent. My, you, know, you know what made prayer time more consistent? It was me recognizing my need for Jesus more and more and me saying, you know what? No matter what I have or I don't have, I'm going to continue to seek the source of my salvation. I'm going to continue to seek the source of life. But here's the truth. The truth is there are people who have these functional saviors in their life. They're trying to find this satisfaction ultimately and other things. But what, what we have is a beautiful thing. It is that God offers us salvation in his son that will 
will satisfy our soul's longing. And so while we are trying to pursue other things, hoping that we will somehow sense some kind of great satisfaction you know, and, and, and experience something that's overwhelming, God says, I have that thing for you. I have that source. I have that source of life that will overwhelm you and you'll experience my fullness through my son. And so we need the source of salvation, not just a fix of satisfaction. Let me say that again. We need the source of salvation, not just a fix of satisfaction. God wants us to experience his fullness and his grace. And the only way that we experience that is in and through and with a relationship by the power of his son. And we can walk in that through what? By the grace of God. Amen? Amen. So the first thing I'd ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, signs are not the source of salvation. Signs are not the source of salvation. The first thing that these people do, let's just go back to verse 28 or 29 here. It says, then Jesus answered them and he said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who sent, whom he sent. And verse 30 says, therefore they said to him, their response to Jesus is, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? And then they go on in verse 31 and say, our fathers ate manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, all of you know people that are called name droppers, right? Hello. Right? You know those people that they know everybody, right? Not just know everything, but they know everybody, right? And you have a conversation, oh, yeah, I know them, and they just name drop, right? Well, see, that's nothing new. These people weren't name dropping in that sense. What they were saying was, they were saying, hold on a second. You know, we have some recollection. We have some history that says that our fathers ate manna in the desert, and Moses gave them bread, and so that's why they believe. See, but they failed to realize the story, and it's that the people didn't start believing because of the manna. They believed for a moment, and they were okay for a moment, and then what did they start doing? They started murmuring a little while later. They didn't realize that, listen, what you're saying is you want to sign as though that's going to be the thing that is going to make you believe. But in reality, that's not going to be the thing that is going to make you believe. But the first thing they come out with is they're like, hey, man, we have this. So can you top that? Can, can, you, can you do a sign greater than that? I mean, you know, do something. And think about it. He just gave them manna. Hello, somebody. Just, just a few more, just the day before, he filled them all. As a matter of fact, they overflowed. They had like 12 baskets of overflow of leftover food. Hello. Right? I mean, they just experienced this, and they're like, well, can you do another sign? Like, like just, just keep doing signs for us so we can hopefully at some point believe you for who you are. But here's the thing. Notice the narrative started with the people seeking to make Jesus king because of what? Because of this great sign. Seeking him when he left as though they knew who he was, and then they asked him for a sign in order to believe. So it starts off, and they seem like, man, it seems like these people, man, they're ready to make Jesus king. And, you know, you would make him king because you knew who he was. But the reality was they didn't know who he was. They were missing it because signs are not the source of salvation. And I want to give you, we're going to turn somewhere. You can hold your place in the Gospel of John. But I want you to turn because I, I need you to hear this to understand something. But go to 2 um, Thessalonians really quickly. 2 Thessalonians, because I want you to see when I say that signs are not the source of salvation, that you realize that there is a devil that does signs and wonders. Hello. Because a lot of times we don't think that that's a true statement, but I want you to realize that look at what the scripture says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, or 8 through 11, I'm sorry. When you got it, say amen. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And it says, and this is speaking of the end times. This is speaking of the great apostasy. This is speaking of these days in which we live. And it says in verse 8, it says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. Now look at what it says in verse 9. It says, The coming of the lawless one is according to... Now, now pause for a moment because he's making a statement here. Paul is trying to give them a, a sign and that way they're going to know how do you know the lawless one is coming? How do you know that this is, that this is him? He says this. He says the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan. Now look what he says. With all power, signs and lying, say lying, lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish now look at this because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved now look at this here what he says is that in these latter days, in the days in which we live, that there is coming a time where we're going to see what? Power, all power. We're going to see signs, lying wonders. We're going to see all kinds of unrighteous deception. But here is the test of all of those signs, all of those wonders, and everything that is operating behind them, supposedly. It is do the people who are preaching them, who are receiving them, who are seeking after them, do they love the truth or do they love signs? You see, because it is the love of the truth, it is the love of the word of God that does what? That brings us to salvation. He says, because the love of the truth was not in them. It wasn't because they didn't want signs and wonders. It wasn't because they didn't want the power of God. It wasn't because of anything like that. It was because they wanted all of those things, but they didn't care about God's truth. They didn't care about the one thing that was going to bring change to their hearts. They didn't care about the one thing that was going to sustain them. They didn't care about the one thing that was always going to be there. See, here's the thing that I realized. You'll notice something. If you look at the, the history of Israel, you'll, you'll notice when they walked through you know, the desert time, the Bible shows us that they had manna, they had quail, they had all of these, all, all of these signs and wonders. And you know what happened the moment they entered into the promised land? The manna and the quail stopped. But guess who walked with them? God Almighty. Guess who was with them? The truth was with them. Right? The angel of the Lord, right? We, we know that God continued to walk with them. What does that tell me about us? That tells me that we should be walking in the promises of God and the truth of God. We should be loving his word, and that way we are what? That way we are experiencing the sustenance, the sustaining work that comes from the word of God, and that is always going to be there because you know what, church? We can't produce or make miracles happen, but what we can do is grow in the grace and the knowledge of who Jesus Jesus is through his word. Through his word. And so what happens is this, is that when we look at what, 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 what was going on with these people, and you can turn back to the gospel of John now, chapter 6, we're done there in 2 Thessalonians. But he, sa he says this, our fathers, and he go, they, they go on to say, our fathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32 says, then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. See, they were confused. They were like, Moses is the man. And Jesus is saying, no, there's someone greater than Moses. But my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And so notice Jesus says this statement. And then what happens to them in the next verse here? They, 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 they get excited. They're like, then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. 
All of a sudden, they go from the place of, you know, we need a sign to saying, hey, give us this bread. And so they seem to be getting what Jesus is communicating, but they're still not getting it completely. See, here's the real question that I have for you. How many signs does it take for someone to believe? And let me give you the answer. The answer is, it is not until the truth of Scripture convicts and convinces our hearts of the gospel that salvation will become a reality. Listen, there is one miracle that needs to happen, and that is that God needs to turn the lights on in our hearts so that we can come to grips with the reality that we need need him. See, because there are people that are walking around this earth and you see their need for God. You reckon, you're like, how do they not see it? And you know what? Some, for some reason, they are blinded to the reality that they need God, even though they're kind of like the people in this story here, because they do what? They seem to say, yes, I need God, but Yes, I need God, but my way. Yes, I need God, but how I want him. See, and so we want to come to the place that what? That we're a people that love the truth of God, so that way we are allowing the Spirit of God to continue to convict our hearts of truth, to continue to convince us of the truths that are there in the Scripture. And so we need to be those kind of people that are seeking God for his word and for his truth of what he communicates, which is what? This bread, verse 35, let's look at it. He says this after they ask him for this bread of life. He answers them and he says, I am am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. See, here's the thing, church. Signs are meant to point people to a destination. I was thinking about signs. I thought about it, you know, and if you're driving, you know, the, we were on a road trip the other day, and as we're driving, you know, we're, as you're driving from one state to the next, I don't know about you, but I really don't like driving long distances, right? I'm just, you know, it's not exciting, you know, it's, it, it's all good, you know, for a little while, for about the first hour, maybe, amen, and then after that, you're like, glory to God, we have how, how many more hours left, like, and so, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly looking at signs, right, and I'm waiting for the sign that says, welcome to Georgia, hello somebody, right, the sign that says, welcome to whatever state I'm going to, but can I tell you something, when I get to that sign, I don't stop and say, hey, I found the sign, we're good, are you hearing me? Right? I, I don't stop at the sign. I, I, the, the sign is supposed to do what? It's supposed to point me to a destination. And so the same thing happens with the signs that are there in the Word of God. It's supposed to do what? We're not supposed to get stuck at the sign. We're supposed to move to a destination. We're supposed to move to a place of faith. Because the truth of the matter is, is that um, John, John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. Now, these are the, the 31 is our memory verse, but John chapter 20, verse 30 through 31. Look what it says. It says in Truly, this is verse 30. It says, and truly Jesus did many other signs, say signs, in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now look at this. There was a bunch of signs that Jesus did that, that John was not inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. But look what verse 31 says, our memory verse. It says, but these are written. Say, these are written. These are written. Now pause for a moment. These are written. Wait, wait, wait a second. These are written, meaning that these are truth. These have been recorded for us. These are in the word of God for us. These have been written for what? What, what is the reason that these have been written? That you may believe, not, not, not so that way you get stuck on the sign, but that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, God doesn't want to just impress us with a sign. He wants the sign to point us to the destination. And what is that? Faith in Jesus is the destination all of his signs should point us to. Sadly, here's a sad reality. 
they missed the bread of life. And we'll see when we finish this, because we won't finish it all today. But you'll see when we finish this, when I say they missed the bread of life, they missed the bread of life. They had seen signs. They have seen the amazing things that God had done. And the reason why this is so important for us is because my prayer is that we, don't, we won't be those kind of people. That we won't miss the bread of life. That we won't miss the truth of who God is. That we won't miss what God communicates and shows us because Jesus says, I told you that you've seen me, but you don't believe. See, the end result of those signs wasn't that they believed just in the signs, but that they believed in the one who produced those signs, which is who? God Almighty. See, the signs are supposed to bring us to this faith in Jesus. The second thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, the will of the Father is the source of salvation. The will of the Father is the source of salvation. Now, we're going we're, we're gonna to touch on some really, you know, some really um, controversial ground here, but I want you to know there's no controversy in the Word of God. Amen. There's just truth. I mean, we just got to take the truth for the truth. We got to look at what the truth says and embrace the truth of what God's word is. But look at this. The will of the Father is the source of our salvation. We're talking about the source of salvation. See, one of the greatest securities that we have as the people of faith is the clear, revealed will of the Father. The will of the Father secures our salvation. Are you hearing me? It is the will of the Father that secures our, our salvation. It's not my will. It's not your will. Our will is not strong enough to secure us. Are you here? Are you hearing me? Now, 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 we got to be serious now. It is not my will. I don't just have just such a great will for God. Listen, everything that I do, we prayed this morning. And, and, and one thing that we have to realize is that because we are created beings, we are dependent beings. Are you hearing me? Because we are created beings, we are dependent beings. In other words, I am not and never will be independent of God's grace. Are you here? For everything that I have, everything that I do, even when I think that I'm so great, you know what I have to realize? There's someone greater. I have to realize there is someone who has given me the ability to do whatever it is that I'm doing. There is someone who has empowered me, who has given me this wisdom. And so here we find in these scriptures some amazing truths that show us where we can find our security in Christ. So verse 37, let's start reading it here. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Are you hearing the Father's will repeatedly already here? And we'll continue on. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will will raise him up at the last day. He's not done. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Who is it then that he, how is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? See, they weren't getting the revelation that Jesus is God the Son. They weren't seeing the picture. They understood the implications. Now, I need you to get that for a moment here. Understand, they knew what Jesus was saying. See, and the reason why this is so important, and, and it and needs to continue to be driven home, because there should be no question that Jesus was revealing his deity. There should be no question that Jesus was showing these people who he was. The problem was, 
not that he wasn't revealing it, it was that they were not accepting it. Are you hearing me? He was showing them, he was making it abundantly clear to the point that they were bothered by this. In verse, 30, in, in verse 43, um, Jesus, Jesus therefore answered and said to them, and I love this, he says, do not murmur. Now, what does that bring us back? Remember we talked about the I am statements? Remember those are back in the book of Exodus? Guess what they were murmuring back then? They were murmuring in, the, in those times when they were in the wilderness. In Deuteronomy, you see it more clearly. You, you see them murmuring and complaining. And Jesus is like, man, you're doing the same thing that you have always done. Nothing has changed. Do not murmur among yourself. Verse, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Again, this is the work of the Father. Verse 45, it is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, every Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Again, the Father's involvement in this work of salvation. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Verse 47, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. And verse 48, clearly stated, I am the bread of life. Verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Verse 50, this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. So Jesus shows us some beautiful things. So Jesus makes it clear, and I'm just going to give you some bullet points on this. And, and, and look at this, verse 37, verse 44 to 45. This is what we learn here about the Father's will. See, Jesus makes it clear that we are saved and secured because the Father wills it. This is what Jesus makes clear, right? He's showing us this. And it is this, number one, we can only come to Jesus for salvation by what? The will of the Father. It is only by the will of the Father that we can come to Jesus for salvation. In verse 38, we can trust that G we can trust Jesus because he is committed to the will of the Father. He's not committed to his own will. He came here to do the will of the Father. In verse 39 and verse 47, he says, we are guaranteed protection and preservation by Jesus because of the Father's will. In verse 40, we are granted eternal life by Jesus in the Father's will. And so I'll go through these again, and, I, and I'll go as slow as I can, because I know you're writing notes and like, come on now. All right, so getting a little cramp in your fingers there. But listen, the first one is this. We can only come to Jesus for salvation by the will of the Father. Crystal clear. We can only come to Jesus for salvation by the will of the Father. The next one is this. We can trust Jesus because he is committed to the Father's will. We can trust Jesus because he is committed to the Father's will. The next one is, we are guaranteed protection and preservation by Jesus because of the Father's will. And the last one is, we are granted eternal life by Jesus because of the Father's will. Now listen, when you hear all of this, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to think that God's sovereignty somehow negates your responsibility in this process of salvation. Hello. See, because here's the thing. We, we are given to Jesus by the Father, but guess what? We must come. Hello, somebody. Are you here? We are given to Jesus, right, by the Father. It's the Father's will, but you've got to come. You've got to come to him. You have got to believe. Here's the other thing. The second thing is we are shown the truths of we are shown the truths of who Jesus is in the scriptures, but we still have to choose to believe. Are you here? 
See, you have to believe. You have to decide. Just like they had to make a decision. Just like they had to make a choice. It wasn't like, well, you know what? It, no, they had to make a choice. They had to choose. They either accepted or rejected the truth. It's the th same thing we do today. You either come or you stay. Hello. You either hear the truth that you need a Savior and you turn from your sin and you trust Jesus or you don't. You see, and, and here, here's the thing. This, this, is, this, is, this is the big thing. It is difficult to reconcile the sovereignty of God, which is the first thing that I talked about, right? That it's God's will. It's, it's hard to reconcile the sovereignty of God and salvation and human responsibility. But here's the thing. We can trust in the will of the Father as the ultimate source of our salvation and be secure that Jesus will never lose us. Are you here? You know why these scriptures are here? These scriptures are here to encourage us. You see, I, I, I hate the question. I hate this question. I absolutely 100% detest this question. Can you lose your salvation? I hate it. You know why? Because nowhere in the Bible does it ever say anything like that. I hate the question. It's, it's, it's a question you can't even back up the question in a biblical way. But here's a question you can back up scripturally. Can Jesus lose a saint? Are you hearing me? Can Jesus lose a saint? Can Jesus lose one of his children? Hello, somebody. I'm just saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm talking the Bible here. This is not my theology. This is not some theology from some place. This is what the scriptures say. Now, we're talking about red letters if you got the right Bible. Hello. All right. If you got the right Bible, you paid a couple extra dollars, you got a Bible with red letters. If you were like me when I bought one of my Bibles, I was cheap, and I don't got the red letters in it. This one has red letters. Amen. What I'm saying is there's red letters, and when we're talking about red letters, we're talking about the words of Jesus. And Jesus said, I will never lose you. I love it. They asked Charles Spurgeon one day. Somebody came up to him after, and Charles Spurgeon is the prince of preachers. He's a great preacher. And they came up to him, and they said, well, pastor, how do you reconcile man's will and, and God's sovereignty? And he said, I never try to reconcile friends. Some of y'all to get that in the car. Listen. Listen. You don't reconcile friends. You don't try to make friends work together. Why? Because they're already friends. Hello. Because we don't, listen, church, you do not, I do, and I don't pretend to. Hello. Some people try to pretend to. I don't pretend to understand how God's sovereignty and my will works. This is what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about God's part. I'm worried about my part. See, if we would be more concerned about our part, I think we'd be okay. Stop trying to figure out God's part, how he's doing it, when he's What you need to be concerned with is are you responding in faith? Are you coming to Jesus? Are you walking with him? Are you submitting to him? Are you surrendering your life? Because if that is not what you're concerned with, you're concerned with the wrong thing. Hello? You're concerned with trying to understand fully the mind of God. None of us will ever understand fully the mind of God. We should revel in the fact that it is within the Father's will that you're even hearing the preaching of the gospel. Are you here? We should revel in the fact that for those of us who have put our faith in Jesus, that he actually, in his will, decided that we were going to what? Hear and respond, that we can be grateful for that. We should be grateful that we can look at these scriptures and say, God, I thank you because I didn't secure myself. You secured me and you continue to secure me. We should be grateful that Jesus says, I will never lose what he gave me. I will not lose. That should be encouraging to you as a child. But realize it is still my responsibility to abide in the vine. Hello. 
See, we need to become overly concerned with what? With what we're supposed to do. And when I say overly concerned, I don't mean overwhelmed and all nervous. We should rest in the truths that the Word of God presents for us. But we should also know, hey, man, God has me in his hands. And if he has me, he promises not to lose me. And so that doesn't mean just go live crazy. Listen, I'll tell you right now, if you're living crazy, I'm going to even question if you're in his hands. I don't care what prayer you prayed. I don't care what someone told you. I had a conversation with someone one day, talked about them and their relationship with Jesus, and they were like, yeah, I did that in a backyard Bible school when I was 10 years old. And I said, yeah, now you're like 30-something, and your life looks nothing like that backyard Bible school. Hello. Your life doesn't look like you're a child of God, and so I don't care what you did 20 years ago, whatever. What I'm saying is your life needs to reflect some kind of change because, you know, when you're in the potter's hand, you start looking like what the potter wants to make. Mm -hmm. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. The work of the Son is the source of salvation. The work of the Son is the source of salvation. And you're wondering, how can we have two sources? Well, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're three in one, and so they can all be the source together. Amen? And so it is the will of the Father that is the source of our salvation, and it is the work of the Son that is the source of our salvation. Let's continue reading in verse 51 to verse 59. He says this, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. And so what Jesus does here is here Jesus reiterates and makes plain that he is the living bread or he is the bread of life. Unlike those who died in the wilderness and ate the manna, those who eat of the bread of life will never die spiritually or eternally. In other words, they're not going to spend eternity separated from God. And here we see the gospel, the sin problem leading to a death problem and Jesus as the solution to both problems. See, what happens is he says that I will give my flesh, right? He's going to give his, he's going to give his flesh, and what, what's going to happen is he's going to die. And so we see the picture of the gospel. What Jesus is making clear is he's making clear, listen, there is a sin problem. God is a good God who created man in his image and his likeness. Man was sinless in the garden. And he said, but man ate what? He ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And therefore, and as Pastor Chad was talking about communion this morning, because of that transgression, because of that sin against one law that God gave man and told him not to touch that, because of that one thing, sin enters the world. And what does that do? That makes all of us sinners. So we are born into sin. We have a sin issue. 
We have a sin problem. We have a, a, a thing that separates us from God. And it's not just that we were born into sin. It's that we continue to commit sin. We continue to dishonor God. We continue to decide to sin instead of what? Do righteously. And so that leaves us with a problem. It's his death problem. And it means that we are separated from God. But Jesus says that he's going to give his flesh. And he's not just going to give his flesh, but he is also going to offer that flesh to us because he doesn't want us to be separated from him dying eternally. He doesn't want us to be separated from him dying spiritually. He wants to give us new life. That's what he offers us. But it is not on our terms. It's on his terms. It's not our way. It is his way. And it is through the what? It is through partaking of his flesh. That's what he says here. And notice in this, I just got to throw this in there. He never says his body. He always says his flesh. Why is that important for us? Because when we partake of communion, we partake of what? In a, in a symbolic way. The flesh? No. We partake of the body. See, there's a difference. Because there's some people that will read this and, you know, they argue and, you know, the, 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 the Israelites were offended because Jesus is like, how, they're like, how are we going to eat your flesh? Because first of all, they, could, they, they weren't allowed to, you know, eat blood and much less go into cannibalism. Hello. But see, they were missing what Jesus was trying to say. He's talking about his flesh. He's talking about the sacrifice that he is going to do, that he is going to make in their place. When we do communion, what happens is some people take this to say, well, you know what? If I partake of communion, then every time that I partake of communion, that's me securing my eternal life. Not true. Not true. It's not, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that because here's the thing. There's a problem with that statement. If I think that way, then what happens is the guy that was on the cross, Jesus lied to him. Because guess what he never did? He never partook of communion. Are you hearing me? See, there's a problem with that. That wasn't what Jesus was talking about. Jesus was not pointing. He wasn't talking about communion. He was talking about the sacrifice that he was going to make. And so he talks about his flesh and the, and, and, and the spiritual um, implication that was there. And so he shows them that, that, they, that they, when they were in the beginning, they talked about this bread that came from heaven. And Jesus points out to them and says, everybody that ate that bread, guess what? They're all dead. But anybody who eats this bread... Anybody who partakes of my flesh, anybody who partakes of my blood, guess what? They're never going to die. They're going to live forever. See, the Jews who were present, they couldn't see the spiritual implications of what Jesus was saying. And I'm going to give you two reasons why. Number one was because they didn't see their need for salvation. See, what they thought was this. That's the reason why they were so bold in saying, hey, what sign are you going to do that we can believe? What they were communicating and they were showing was, hey, man, we are the children of Israel. We are the people of promise. We don't need salvation. You just need to prove to us who you are. All the time, Jesus is showing them you desperately need salvation. You desperately need a savior. You don't just need a Messiah that's going to come and just be a king. You need a savior that is going to come and die for you because you are so blinded to your own sin. You are so blinded to your separation from me. The second reason why they didn't get Jesus' implication is because they were overly consumed with their natural needs and desires. See, they were, they were more concerned with having a king sit on a throne that was going to reestablish them in power and rank and in authority, and they, didn't even, they, they, were, they were so concerned with that that they never realized their spiritual need. They never saw that. And the sad thing is that for many people that walk this earth today, they're the same way. They have a list of things that they need. They have a list of things that they're waiting for God to do for them, but they're never looking at their spiritual need. They're not concerned about their spiritual life. They're waiting for God to answer all of these other prayers, and they haven't asked the one thing from God, and that is to save them. That is to deliver them. That's the reason, church, why we have to be a gospel-centered people. 
That's the reason why we have to be a light that shines in the midst of a dark world. And that way people aren't looking at God as some genie, as some genie in a bottle who they can just rub and just come and pray and just come and give something. And they get everything from God that they want, but that they can recognize that the greatest need that man has, I said in the beginning, is what? Salvation. The greatest need that we have is to come into the saving relationship with Jesus Christ through the sacrifice that he made. And so in closing here, to eat and drink of the body and the blood are to be understood as partaking of the gospel in an equally dependent manner as we do the food and drink we consume to sustain us physically. You see, every day we eat because what? Because we have to. There's no one who's going to go very long. As a matter of fact, some of you are dying of hunger right now. It was only a couple of hours ago that you ate. Hello. Right? But ultimately, the truth is that most of us are not going to, most of us are opposed to fasting. Hello, somebody. Right? We just won't fast because it's too hard, right? Some of us are like, man, I hope, I hope pastor does not call a fast anytime soon because, you know, I just, I'm not with it right now. And so some of us, are, we're, we're never going to starve ourselves because what? Because there's something inside of us, right? Our stomach starts to growl, right? We start to get this headache. Hello, somebody, right? Y'all, y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You start to feel all of these pains and you start to feel weak. I remember, I, I never forget fasting. I, you know, you know what? The funniest stories that I have of fasting is when I was a youth pastor and Pastor Aldo, he is the one. I I don't know where he is. I think he's teaching or whatever. But, man, Pastor Aldo cannot fast because he has the fastest metabolism ever. Hello. And so this guy fasts for like one day, and he can't even barely move. I'm just, I'm being serious. He's like, I mean, the guy's about to die. And I'm like, man, he's going in, in three days with us, right? So, you know, he was really hurting. He was a really faithful man of God. Hello, glory to his name. And so what happens is, you know, we're not going to starve ourselves. We're not, we're, we're not going to walk around and act like, you know, we don't need to eat. We're going to eat. Hello. The truth of the matter is, is the same thing spiritually, church. We need to make sure that we are partaking continuously of this gospel truth. That we're, that, that we're continuously partaking. That's the reason why we talk about the gospel. That's the reason why we'll preach the gospel continually. Because we need to continue to partake of that. But here's the thing. If you're in this place today and you have not come to that saving relationship with Jesus, he offers you that relationship today. Today, he offers you to what? To experience his power to save you. Today he does that. And how does that happen? Well, it's by you recognizing that he is the only Savior and that you are desperately in need of him. And you come to him and you humble your heart and you say, God, forgive me of my sin. And I surrender my life to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to walk with you from this day forward. That's what he offers you. And for the rest of us that are here, listen, I told you this should be an encouraging message, right? You should be encouraged today. That your God holds you in his hands. He's not going to lose you. Hello. He's going to keep you. You just got to walk with him. Just walk with him. Amen? Stand to your feet. Let's pray together. Invite the worship team to come up as we revel in the goodness and the greatness of our God. I want us to just sing. And listen, if you're in this place, you don't know Jesus, I'm going I'm, I'm to invite you to come forward. If you don't know him, if you haven't put your faith in him, as we sing and we worship today, pastors and there's leaders that are here that can pray with you. If you don't have a relationship with him, if you, if you do have a relationship with Jesus and you just need prayer today, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. And so we just want to worship God and, and, and just thank him for the greatness of who he is. And Father, we just honor you this morning, Lord God. We thank you for your goodness toward us. We thank you for your great grace. We thank you for your power in our lives, God. We thank you because you do secure us, God, in you. You secure us by your grace. You secure us in your love and your kindness toward us. And, Father, we are so very humbled, Lord God, by your greatness. And, Father, we come to you today, Lord God, thanking you for your son, Lord God. Thanking you so much for Jesus.
for, for you dying in our place, for you giving your life for us, Lord God. Lord, we are so grateful because we know that we couldn't have died for ourselves, Lord God, and made a difference, but you died for us, my God, that we could have this life, that we could come to know you, Lord God. And so today, Lord, we stand in awe of your word. We stand in awe of your will, Father God. We thank you because you are truly the source of salvation, my God. You truly are the source of life, my God. And so we revel in that great reality today. And Father, I just pray, Lord God, for those in this place that do not know you, God, I pray that they would surrender their hearts to you today, my God, that they would put their faith in you today, that they would trust you with all of their lives today, my God. And I pray for my brothers and my sisters, Lord Jesus, that may be struggling in their walk. Father God, struggling in different areas of their life, I pray that today's message, Lord, would have struck a chord in their soul, my Lord, that they would realize that you have them in the palm of your hand, that they would realize that you are with them, that you will never leave them nor forsake them, my God. I pray that today, Lord God, that they would experience the wonder of who you are in deeper ways. We thank you for this, Lord God, and we pray these things in Jesus' great name. Amen. So the altar area is open. If you want to come forward.